0: and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because he too, is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost the word of the Lord
1: am I the only one who thinks that there's something a little bit off about the seven dwarves I mean something kind of hinky about their whole like arrangement I mean sure They give Snow White a place to stay, but, you know, not for free. She cooks and cleans up after all those little slobs. And I know, you know, they all have cute and funny names and personalities, and Snow White charms them and strokes them like little puppies, but I'm not buying the act. There is clearly something dark beneath their surface. Realizing that my knowledge of the story comes entirely from the Disney cartoon version of the fairy tale, and given Disney's bias towards cleaning up fairy tales and wrapping them, um, warping them to reinforce dominant cultural norms and power structures, I decided to dig deeper. To dig deeper in, into it. To see what truths Walt and creepy little jewel miners were suppressing. And I did not have to look very far. While the Disney version is based on the brothers' grim tale collected in Germany in the early 1800s, titled "Snee Witchin," the roots of the story are more likely in the Albanian folktale. The Albanian folktale from the Middle Ages, in which Snow White flees from a mother who is trying to kill her and an emasculated father who is incapable of protecting her. She runs into the forest and she falls asleep exhausted. There she is awoken, not by seven dwarves, but by 50 dragons. And not cute little dragons with individual names and cuddly personalities. They are scary and dangerous. And she goes and lives with them. And by living with them, she both puts herself at risk, but also gains her own strength and agency and no longer needs a masculine figure to protect her, nor does she need to fear her mother, but can negotiate the perils and mysteries of the world on her own. While this story gets toned down over the years, by the time the Grimm's publish it, a couple hundred years later, the 50 dragons have turned into seven dwarves, who are not at all threatening to Snow White, although they do maintain a hint of menace, the menace of the dragons, because in the Grimm's version, at the end of the story, the dwarves chase down the evil stepmother and cast a spell on her so she can't stop dancing until her heart explodes. But in the end of the version that she she is tricked by the mother and Snow White must still be saved by the prince and she has remained unstained by her adventure into the world. She remains snow-white. So 50 dragons are reduced to seven singing cartoon dwarves. It was too unsettling for people to have this young girl entering puberty, living in a dark cave with 50 dragons, becoming an independent woman outside the bounds of accepted cultural norms. So, that the, so the threat is shrunk. They reduce the threat. Snow White doesn't seem as vulnerable or out of bounds. It's a common practice in the evolution of myths and folk tales and stories to reduce the vulnerability and threat to accepted cultural norms by literally reducing the size of the threatening characters. Now I'm not tying the story of Snow White to Zacchaeus because of, you know, the wee little man thing. No, not entirely, okay, maybe it started that way, but there are other touchstones. Key to all the versions of the Snow White story is the issue of the purity of this girl entering puberty. This is actually at the heart of a surprising number of folk in fairy tales, Little Red Riding Hood being the most obvious example. In the oldest versions of the story, Snow White escapes her home and fights her way into womanhood on her own, learning from the dangers of the forest and life with 50 dragons, and she emerges strong and triumphant. It is a story of inspiration told to young girls. But over time, it's toned down, because maybe times were not as hard, and young girls don't have to make it on their own. Maybe they're not abandoned in the woods. Now they want a young girl to remain pure and white like the driven snow and to wait for a prince to take possession of them. A prince doesn't want a grown woman with dragon-singed hair and soot-covered skin. Luke's story of Zacchaeus is basically the same story. Well, Luke's story is the brother's grim Disney version of the original Zacchaeus' story. The name Zacchaeus means pure, clean, untouched. Zacchaeus is basically the Hebrew word for Snow White. I know it's pretty ironic to name an ironic name for a tax collector, but maybe in the original version of the story, that was the point. To be a tax collector at the time it didn't mean that he was someone who sat in an office with his glasses sliding down his nose, uh, adding up numbers and calculating the amount owed. No, a tax collector was more like a collector for the mob. Rome controlled everything. But all throughout the empire, they would allow local sovereigns and governors, governments to act independently, as long as they followed a few rules. One of those was that they got a cut of everything produced, bought, or sold. It all went back to Rome. Instead of adding up everything at the end of the year and figuring out a percentage that people owed, Rome came up with a number at the beginning, and then locals, local tax collectors, would bid for the job of collecting it, like One would say, hey, I can do it for only 3% of the take. or some Another one would say, I can go out and get all your cut for you for only 2%. But the thing is, see, the local tax collectors, they were free to get as much out of the population as they were able to coerce. And Jericho, where Zacchaeus was the tax collector, was the center of the balsam trade, which I'm told was quite a big trade. So don't think of the little accountant guy in a dingy office. Think of a big dude who, for whatever reason, decided to betray his own people to do the bidding of the evil empire that invaded his country and is now taking some of what little they have and giving it to the occupiers, and worse yet, he's taking even more to keep for himself. And you have to believe if you didn't pay or you couldn't pay, you don't just get a pass due notice in the mail he hurt you he hurt your family so it was this big intimidating universally feared and hated figure that jesus picks out of the crowd jesus comes to jericho and all these people come out to greet him they've heard about him they've heard he's a great teacher and a healer and possibly the messiah that will save them from rome and restore israel and Jesus comes into Jericho, is moving through the crowd of excited, hopeful followers, and Jesus sees Zacchaeus standing off to the side, beyond the crowd, watching the whole thing. And Jesus calls out to him, Zacchaeus, come here, hurry. I must stay at your house today. What the? Like, the crowd is confused and angry, He is going to be the guest of the worst possible sinner, evil, vile, loathsome dude in Jericho. Why? Sure, the story goes on. The violent asshole repents, gives money back. But, you know, why? Why does Jesus pick him? Does Jesus not know that he represents the evil Roman Empire? The one who would destroy all of Jerusalem and come to destroy the temple? It was just too much. It was too much even for the original hearers. They didn't want a story about this. They didn't want to think that this worst possible traitor, the one that took what little they had so they couldn't feed their families and beat them up when they couldn't pay, they didn't want to think of this Jesus going to them, him. Luke also, or the author of Luke, didn't think that people would accept this story. They maybe wouldn't want anything to do with the Jesus who would associate with that kind of person. So Luke's author, like the Grimm's have done before him, they tone down the whole thing. They tone it down. They made the story more acceptable. Instead of this big leg-breaking tool of the empire, Luke makes him short of stature. A wee little man. Jumping up and down, trying to see over the crowd. Running on his little legs to get ahead of the crowd and climbing up the tree. Can you picture it with his short arms and legs climbing that tree, then trying to hold on and looking for Jesus? Luke made him funny. A figure to be laughed at. Made him harmless. How are the hearers of the story going to be upset with Jesus for hanging out with this little guy? It's like helping a kitty out of a tree. It's the same thing that the Grimm brothers with the Grimm brothers. They work to maintain Snow White's purity. Instead of the original folktale that acknowledges that this once innocent girl got smudged and hurt and burned and battered in order to survive. But she did survive. and She was no longer as white as snow when she emerged from the woods. Luke tried to neuter the very radical nature of this act of mercy, the radical mercy that is the Jesus story. The original version would have Jesus see Zacchaeus for who he has become, traitor, thief, violent, abuser, oppressor, knowing that Zacchaeus, who once reflected his name, once was pure, he once was good, but he does not look like that anymore. The radical truth is that Jesus will hang out, stay with, eat with, be with, have a relationship with anyone, the worst of us. Because no matter what anyone does, believes, or becomes, no one is beyond being with. No one is beyond relationship. No one gets cut off, kicked out, ignored, or canceled. Being with is what radical mercy looks like.